Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. And thank you that you are the God of the storm. Thank you for loving us and working in our lives. And I pray you'll continue to speak to us through your word. You've already spoken through music. And I pray that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. Glorify your name, we pray, through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 27. We're going to talk this morning about being in a storm. How many of you have ever been in a storm? I remember about 20 years ago, Monique and I had just moved from Jackson, Missouri to Decatur, Illinois. And uh, we were going there to pastor a church in the Decatur area, but we hadn't got our house sold in Missouri just yet. The house is only about four or five years old, but it had a roof problem, had a problem with the shingles, and we were going to have to replace the roof. Monique's brothers and family were gracious enough to volunteer to help us to take all the shingles off and to replace the roof, save us some money. So we came home during the first part of the weekend, and we pulled off shingles all day on Friday, got done just before sunset. Not a cloud in the sky, no forecast of rain. We thought about putting a tarp on the roof. We said, we're good. So we back, go back to Monique's mom's house, and we eat a good dinner, go to bed early. About midnight, I get a phone call. It's Monique's nephew, Ray, saying, Uncle Kevin, you might want to come out here. We got a problem. So Monique and I hurried up. We got dressed, and we drove out to the house, and there had been a storm. Water was everywhere. It poured through the roof, through the ceiling. It was coming through the light fixtures and out the wall sockets and through the floor and into the finished basement. It was a total mess. We had had a storm. How many of you have ever had a storm in your life? Some of those storms are literal. With rain and lightning and thunder and wind and flooding. And some of them are are physical, like heart attacks and strokes and ALS and cancer. Some of those heart attacks and strokes and all of those things, those are physical. I was thinking about James back here, been through a couple of storms, uh, accidents happened to us. Some are literal, some are physical, some are emotional. You married somebody and you just knew they would be a great husband. They turned out to be abusive. You married a wife, and you thought she would be amazing, but she has repeated affairs on you. You had all these hopes and all these dreams for your children, and yet they don't follow God, and they don't want to have much to do with you. And some storms are spiritual. You used to follow God. You used to really be active in church. You used to read the Bible every day. You used to believe in prayer. 
But lately, that's been really difficult. Your prayer times are dry. You don't look forward to coming to church anymore. And God just seems distant from you. You're in a spiritual storm. And you don't know what to do. Sometimes our own poor decisions can put us in a storm. We spend way too much money. Or we get involved in a bad relationship. Or we act impulsively. Or we know what we're doing is wrong. But we do it anyway. Hey, it's easier to get forgiveness than it is to get permission. But you didn't realize the consequences would be that bad. Here in Acts chapter 27, we find a follower of Jesus Christ by the name of Paul. Better known to you who are familiar with the Bible as the Apostle Paul. And he is in a storm. So how did Paul get into the middle of this storm? Truth be told, it was not his fault. In fact, he's a prisoner on a boat headed to Rome. Being a prisoner is not exactly his fault either, except for the fact that he's ticked off a lot of Jews by preaching Jesus, and they wanted him dead. So Paul is appealing his case to Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire, and his request is granted. So now Paul is a prisoner on a ship along with about 275 other prisoners, some probably pretty decent guys, and some are no doubt hardened criminals. And how did they get into this storm to begin with? It's not like they were first century storm chasers. Let's go chase a storm. Make a YouTube video. Put it on the Weather Channel. Uh, No. When they started out, it was a good day for sailing. The weather was looking fine. That was all about to change. Let's take a few minutes and look at the situation together. Let me show you a map. I'm going to be the weatherman for just a moment here. And I got my little pointer stick, okay? There is an advantage if you're sitting in the first few rows because you can read all these towns, especially if your eyesight's good. If you're in the back, you may not be able to read all of them. Trust me, okay? The silent towns are there. You can look it up, okay? We start out at Caesarea. That's where the ship begins to sail. And somehow they're going to get all the way up here to Rome, okay? But they start out in Caesarea. There's a scale there. That's about 500 miles from that to that right there. Start out in Caesarea, they go to a little place called Sidon. And the Roman centurion, the officer who is in charge of the prisoner, is kind to Paul, even lets Paul visit some friends there. They go from Sidon all the way up around here over to a place called Myra. And at Myra, they get on a bigger ship, an Alexandrian ship, that is heading toward Italy. But they got to kind of take the long way around. So they come over here to Snidus. And then they come down here toward a place called Fair Havens on the island of Crete. But when they were heading down toward Fair Havens, the weather wasn't fair at all. In fact, the weather was getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. I think about Gilligan. Okay. Uh, And it's blowing against them. And they're having a difficult time getting there. But they finally make it to Fair Havens. And uh, Paul says, we need to stop here. This is dangerous. We need not go any further. Let's spend the winter in Fair Havens. You see, once they stop, the weather for the next several months is going to be too bad to travel. And so Paul says, let's just stay here in Fair Havens. 
However, the ship's captain and the owner and the Roman soldier in charge of the prisoners, they kind of meet together. They overrule Paul, who has no authority. He's just giving his opinion. And they think, let's try to go a little further. Let's not stop here at Fair Havens. Let's go another 40 or 50 miles to a place called Phoenix. Not Arizona, okay? Phoenix on the island of Crete. And uh, so they try to make it there, but they don't make it. In fact, they get stuck out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and uh, they are in trouble big time because a hurricane force wind begins to blow against them, and their ship is going to sink. So that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 27. The Apostle Paul and a whole lot of other people, 275 prisoners, plus the Roman soldiers and the sailors are in a ship sinking, hurricane force type of storm. It looks like they're going to die. Some of you know someone who's going through a storm today. It might be physical. It might be emotional. It might be spiritual. It could be financial. How can you help them? Some of you are going through a storm. What are you going to do? Let's talk about that today. What do you do when you're going through a storm? One thing you can do is this. Encourage others who are going through their own storms. Watch what Paul did in verse 22. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Paul says, I've been talking to God and I got some good news. You're not going to die. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it through the storm. Listen, you may be going through a storm yourself, but life is not all about you there are other people around you who are going through a storm. They're hurting. They're struggling. They're drowning. And they may not even know the God that you know. What are you going to do? Sometimes when we go through the storm, we want to have a pity party. Anybody here ever had a pity party? I got about six honest people in the room, okay? We probably have all had a pity party at one time or another. What is going on here? Why didn't I get the job? Why did I get fired from the job? Why did I marry him? Why did I marry her? Why did my kids not turn out better than this? Why do I have this struggle? Why do I have this issue? Why do I have this problem? Ever have a pity party? Here's the question. To ask yourself, when you find yourself in a pity party, do you want to be bitter or do you want to get better? You see, bad circumstances can either be a wedge coming between you and God, pushing you away from God, or they can be an outward force as you trust in God, pushing you closer to God. Here in Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul is going through a horrible storm. Not because he did something wrong, but because he did something right. But Paul didn't have a pity party. Paul's encouraging the people around him, and Paul is trusting in his God. What do you do when you're going through your storm? If you want to be bitter, be a whiner. Be a complainer. Throw a pity party. But if you want to get better, how many of you want to get better? If you want to be a winner, if you want to be more than a conqueror, when you're going through a storm... You encourage others, and you keep trusting. 
in your God. Okay, God, you got this. I'm trusting in you. I'm believing in you. I'm going to follow you. Circumstances are not looking good. It's pretty bad right now for the home team. My life looks like it's falling apart. I feel like maximum security at the Kentucky Derby yesterday. Ugh. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in the middle of a storm. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up. You're going to throw in the tile. But don't you dare do that. You keep following Jesus Christ. In verse 25, Paul says, For I have faith in God that will happen just as God told me. Back in verse 23, Paul said an angel stood by him and told him, They're going to be all right. Some of you are thinking, Yeah. I could trust God, too, if he would send me an angel to stand by me and talk to me, tell me it's going to be all right. I could do that, right? Can I tell you something? Come up a little closer, okay? Lean a little forward. Listen to me closely, okay? I don't know anybody in this room who would want to trade circumstances with the Apostle Paul. His life was almost surely more difficult than yours. Think about it. He was beaten five times with Roman whips. And each time they beat him, it was 39 lashes. Can you imagine? Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned, not with drugs, okay, but literal stones and left for dead. They thought they killed him. They'd hoped that they killed him, so they left. They thought he was dead. He was in and out and in and out and in and out of prison. Everywhere he went, people hated him. Jews hated him. Gentiles hated him. The religious leaders who used to be his friends and his peers, they couldn't stand him. They're trying to kill him. And Paul had this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. But apparently it was painful and it made life very difficult for Paul because three times Paul cried out to God for God to remove it. And yet God did not. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul was stuck with the storm in the flesh. Now Paul did have some advantages. You're probably not going to see an angel standing beside you. And you're probably not going to hear the audible voice of God. But like Paul, you too have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. Repeat after me. I got God living inside of me. Say it like you mean it. I got God living inside of me. Isn't that true? Absolutely. True that, right? I got God living inside of me. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? The world says, hey, I got money. I got talent. I got ability. I got everything in the world going for me. But if they ain't got God, they got nothing, right? You got God living inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of your friends say, I got friends in high places. But here's the question. They got God? See, you got a friend in a really high place. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. 
Question, how do you measure success? Do you measure it by how much money you have in the bank? How early you got to retire? The size of the house that you live in? The kind of car that you drive? Do you measure it by how popular you are with your friends? Or how many people think you're cool? Hey, nothing wrong with those things. I'd take them all. But they are as dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Better to know Jesus Christ and not have any of those things than to not know Jesus and have all of those things. You see, success is not measured by temporary worldly standards. Success is measured by the power and by the grace and by the opinion of God. God says you're more than a conqueror. I'll take that over being a billionaire. If God says he's going to be with me, I'll take that over having a bunch of friends on Facebook. If God says, I'm going to use you, I'll take that over a lot of other people who might be there and they might not be. If God says one day, well done, good and faithful servant, I'll take that over anything and everything that this world can begin to buy. How about you? You see, success is not measured ultimately by what we can see with our eyes. Success is measured by the opinion of our God. Success is measured by the influence he wants to give you to impact this world with the love of Jesus Christ because he wants to use us to make a difference in this world. You got God living inside of you. You have the written word of God to guide you. But here's the question. How much time do you spend reading the Bible? How much time do you spend talking to God? About three months ago, I made a decision. I said, God, I want to be closer to you than I have ever been in my entire life. And I prayed that prayer probably 500 times since then. God, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been in my entire life. And I would challenge you to pray that prayer as well. Say, God, I want to be closer to you. I don't want to drift from you. I want to know you. I want to be closer to you than I've ever been in my entire life. Now, that might mean God's going to change some things. And some of those things you may not want to change. Some of those things that might be, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Let me tell you something. Better to know Jesus Christ and be more intimately in fellowship with him and have everything else that this world can offer and be drifting away from him. You got God living inside of you and you got Christian friends around you. What are you going to do in the middle of your storm? Some people drop out of church when they get into a storm. Let me tell you something. That is a really bad idea. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a really bad idea. That's not good. Well, somebody hurt my feelings. I'm not going to church anymore. You think that's helping you out? It's like somebody stole my money. I'm never going to go to the bank and get any more out again. It's up to you, but I wouldn't advise it. Some people quit reading the Bible. 
Ah, I tried that church stuff. I tried that Bible stuff. You know, it didn't work that well for me. I'm just going to quit reading. I'm going to take a boycott from the Bible, boycott from God. You think that's really going to help you out? I don't think so. See, God created you. God knows better about how to live your life than any of us and all of us put together. Just dumb to do that. Some people might need to change churches. Not talking about any of you. But don't drop out of church. Find you some good, solid Christian friends. Get plugged in. You say, Kevin, I tried all that church stuff, that Bible stuff, that God stuff, but my circumstance still turned out badly. Listen, life's not about circumstances. Life is about the God who's in charge of the circumstances. Anybody can trust God when their circumstances are amazing, right? Anybody can trust God when we got lots of money in the bank and good health and lots of friends and nobody criticizes you. Hey, anybody can follow God then. But how about when you don't have enough money? How about when your friends walk out on you? How about when you try something and people are critical of you and you're trying to follow God and the people don't appreciate it very much? Can you follow God then? Paul's circumstances aren't getting any better. His ship is still crashing. He's still going to be a prisoner. Sometimes it doesn't matter what you do. Circumstances can still fall apart. But that's okay. Because the purpose of your life is not to get all set up for the retirement. The purpose of your life is to be an instrument of God in this world that's impacting people for all of eternity. I don't know if I'll ever get to retire, just to be honest. You may kick me out of here another 10 or 12 years and say, that guy's just way too old. And that's all right, because if God wants me to preach, I'll find somewhere. But God wants to use you to impact this world with the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. You want to be a part of that? Hello, anybody home? The good news for the people on Paul's ship was nobody was going to die. The bad news was that ship was still going down. In verse 26, Paul tells those people on the boat, Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. We're going to get there, but we're still going to have problems along the way. Sometimes you're going to get stuck. Sometimes you're going to hit some snags. Sometimes you're going to have problems along the way, but success is not measured by the lack of problems in your life. Success is measured by what you do when you hit those problems. Are you going to become all that God has called you to become? Are you going to do all that God has called you to do? Or do you simply want to drift through life? Verse 27. On the 14th night, we're still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. We call that the Mediterranean. When about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. You might be thinking, well, 90 feet deep, that's still pretty deep, right? Listen, they're in a big boat, up to 180 feet long. It's getting shallower fast, and apparently it's a rocky coast. They're in trouble. Verse 29, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. You ever been there? You just dropped your anchors and you prayed for daylight. Okay, God, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust in you. Now, the interesting thing about this 
is the people here who are dropping the anchors and praying for daylight. They're not Christians. They're unbelievers. But they're desperate. Have you noticed that? When people get desperate, they cry out to God. They don't even know who God is. They're not even sure the God that they're crying out to. But a lot of people, when they get desperate, they cry out to God. Some of you are working with some people. Some of you have opportunities. You go to school with some people, or you have some friends, or you have some relatives, and they are in a storm. And they were looking for somebody like you who knows God. They don't even know what they're looking for. But they're crying out to the God that they don't even know. And God may want to use you to be an instrument to touch their lives with his love. Verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in a constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. Here's Paul still encouraging the sailors. What I find interesting about this is not only is Paul encouraging the sailors, he is their prisoner. Yet here he is encouraging them. Paul is not in charge, yet he's taking charge of the situation in a positive way. Listen, you don't have to be a title. You don't have to have a title to be an influencer. Everybody can be an influencer. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can be an influencer. Everybody can be an influencer, young, old. You can be a mom and be an influencer, amen? You can be a dad and be an influencer, can you not? You can be a teenager and be an influencer. You can be a child and be an influencer. You can be the CEO of a company and be an influencer. You can be the janitor and be an influencer. You can be a garbage collector and be an influencer. Think about it. What if all of the politicians took a month off from work? Would we really miss them? What if the garbage collectors took a month off from work? You think you might miss them? Absolutely. Everybody has opportunity for influence. I encourage you to be an influencer for good. Amen? A lot of people are influencers, all right, but instead of lifting people up, they're dragging people down. You know anybody like that? You hate to see them coming. Here they are. Can I hide? Okay. There they are. Can I hide? It's kind of hard to hide behind this stuff here. You see him in Walmart, it's like, oh, I don't want to go over there. You know what I'm talking about? You just know they're going to be complaining about something. Are you somebody who drags people down? Are you somebody who lifts people up? How do people feel when they leave your presence? Do they feel like, man, I am so glad I got to see Mary today. I'm so glad I got to see Joe. I'm so glad I got to see Billy. Or it's like, oh, no. I just knew it was going to be bad. It's worse than I thought it was going to (sighs) be. How do people feel when they leave your presence? Sometimes I wish I could get me some spray. And I see somebody who's in a really bad mood. I could just spray the sweetness of God all over them. (laughs) Boom! Yeah! They're like, like, oh, hi, Kevin. How you doing? 
Wouldn't that be awesome? Got any married people that want some of that? Don't raise your hand, guys, okay? But how do people feel when they leave your presence? Are they encouraged? Are they glad they saw you? Or they wish they had not? Listen, make it a goal to encourage everyone that you meet. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad I got to sit by you. I'm glad I got to see you. Say, you're looking good today. Say, hey, where are you taking me for lunch? Okay. We need to encourage one another. Life is too cruddy with all the stuff to compound it by whining and complaining and always being frustrated and aggravated with somebody about something, okay? Let me see everybody smile. I like that. That's good. Here's another question. What kind of influence are you in the church? Are you constantly looking for the good things that God is doing in our church? Are you constantly looking for the blessings that God is giving us in our church? Are you constantly looking for the good things that, that God is doing among us? Or are you spend most of your time whining, complaining about what you don't like? Can I tell you a secret? Every church has problems. Turn to your neighbor and say, every church has problems. Now I say this, but don't you be one of them. Yeah? Listen, I've been in a lot of churches. Grew up in churches, served in churches, all kinds of churches. And Terry, you know what I'm talking about. Some churches are really good, and some churches, maybe not so much. Northside is one of the best churches that I've ever been a part of. But that doesn't mean we're perfect, okay? we still got some growing to do. But God is at work in this place, and we should be grateful for that. Here's another question. What kind of influence are you in the world? Are you somebody that when other people see you, it's like, yeah, they're real. They get it, okay? If I ever have a storm, if I have a problem, I ever have an issue, I can go to them because I know they live what they say that they believe. See, it's not enough just to sing these songs on Sunday. It's not enough just to listen to these sermons. It's not enough just to read the Bible together and pray. When we leave this place, we need to leave changed because we're changed by the glory of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Amen? But a lot of Christians... At least they say they're Christians. A lot of church members, kind of like this mermaid over here. You know, one of the kids came up to me before the first service and said, that thing's kind of creepy. <laughs> and, and she kind of is in her own way. She got her north side shirt on over there. She thinks she's looking good, but she's green. Jealousy with envy with stuff going on in her life. And she ain't even real. Look at her. And some of us can be like that. We say we know Jesus. We say we love God. 
We say we believe in the Bible. We say that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. But we don't live like we believe that. Sometimes we're not careful. We're not genuine. We're not real. We're not really following Jesus Christ. We're just putting on a shirt, looking like we think we know God. But we don't live like we know God at all. What kind of influence are you in the world? And how do you respond when you're in the middle of your storm? Everybody's going to have a storm. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your situation is. You're going to have a storm. It might be a health storm. It might be a financial storm. It might be an emotional storm. But storms are a part of life. The question is not, will you have a storm? The question is, how will you respond in the middle of your storm? And which do you think honors God more, giving up or growing up? God is looking for people who will follow him. Come hurricane or high water, will you follow Jesus Christ?